Sure, buddy. Um, we left off in Matt. Thanks, you, thanks, Kev. We left off in Matthew eleven one. We're ripping through the book of Matthew at an unprecedented <laughs> pace. That's uh, because Cheryl's here. That's why. She keeps me going. Uh, Jesus had just had the long talk with, uh, in chapter 10 with his disciples, sending them out, giving them basically what we were supposed to do. He, he tells his disciples, he sends them out, which is... everything started and recorded? And yeah, she's got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, but I didn't press the timer. Thank you, Frank. There you go, Frank. <laughs> I have to wait while it ticks down. I have to stop for a second to catch up. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a little transition here between 10 and 12. Remember, there are no chapters in these letters, so, uh, but they put one here because there's a transition. Jesus sends his people out, his disciples out to minister to the world, to the nation, actually, and he gives, tells them what they should do. He tells them what to expect, what's coming. So he sends them out, and now we're in a spot where Jesus is now talking to not his disciples anymore, He's speaking, he's speaking to the crowd and to people who are coming to him. They are still up north. They are still up in Galilee. Uh, they haven't traveled south yet. And as of yet, things have not gotten contentious. I mean, there's been little barbs chained back and forth, but uh, there is no overt threats of violence. I mean, they had Jesus had just told them that it's coming, but as of yet, it has not happened. But uh, so we're picking up. Uh, right there. Uh, the disciples are out and about doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it says this, verse 1, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to the 12 disciples, he, de he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Uh, basically, Jesus sends them out and then he goes and continues his Galilee ministry. I'm sure there are a whole lot of people still following him. Uh, remember, next time he sends disciples out, he sends 70. This time he sent 12. So there, I mean, when it says he left, don't think of Jesus walking by himself. That at this point in time, that's just not happening anymore. He has to go hide to get away from people or go out on a boat in the middle of the lake. Um, not clear if he went out by himself or waited for them to return, but it seems though he left by himself. But his disciples aren't noted in this conversation, and Jesus appears to be addressing the crowd. At this point, things take a turn towards conflict. Uh, and the things Jesus had warned the disciples about in chapter 10. Challenges were coming, and Jesus begins to talk about John, who had been arrested. Uh, the conversation makes a turn that seems a bit ominous. In chapter 12, Jesus would start to openly face challenges from the Jewish leaders. He would both defend himself and attack them publicly. So we are coming up to the port where this turns to uh, from just a quiet spiritual battle that begins to manifest itself overtly uh, in public. Uh, but we're just, so get that in mind, we're just on the, we're just approaching that. He, he says, so he openly, he starts the conversation about John. Now, while John was in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word to his disciples, by his disciples, I'm sorry, so John's in prison. He's been in prison since Matthew 4.12. Uh, of course, his disciples are still coming and ministering to him in prison. Um, and he has con continuous conversations with them. 
So John himself sent his followers to Jesus. Uh, remember, at Jesus' baptism, John had declared that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, so in Matthew 14, John is killed. So what we have here is a sort of timeline of the life of John. From 412, where he's arrested, to uh, Matthew 14, where he's killed. And we're, we're going to spend some time on John because Jesus goes out of his way and really dedicates a lot of this precious real estate of Scripture to John. It was the miracles that grabbed John's attention. He knew what they meant. It says he heard of the works of Christ. Now, this could be a little confusing because there was a time when John was pretty darn sure who Jesus Christ was. So we're going to talk about that a little bit too. Perhaps the time sitting in prison caused John to doubt what was happening in the kingdom, the fact that he had been arrested. Because no matter how much spiritual you are, you're not ready for everything. You end up, well, what's happening, God? Why is this happening? You know, did I do something wrong? Did, you know, uh, all those things. And I'm sure our enemy was uh, in John's ear. Uh, remember, everyone was looking for national liberation from the Romans. Don't ever let that go out of your mind of what the people are looking for. Well, they, aren't, they aren't looking for spiritual answers. They're looking for political answers. Uh, yeah, spiritual's nice, but, you know, let's get rid of the Romans. Um, or perhaps, John, sensing his end coming, wanted to comfort himself with the great truth. Or, John simply had them publicly ask the question that needed to be answered by Jesus. Go ask this question in public so he can answer it, basically. The question was asked so a declaration could be made with the answer. Either way, it appears that John is going to send his disciples on to be the disciples of Jesus eventually. John's disciples become part of the Christian movement. Uh, it's pretty well accepted. It's it's kind of interesting. Like I said, um, I I am a, of the three possibilities of what's going on here, I sort of lean towards that one. Uh, John asked a question so it can be answered. And he wanted it answered to his disciples because he knew he wasn't going to they weren't going to be his disciples much longer. So it really matters. And, and by the way, when John's disciples show up, everybody knows who they are. These aren't just, you know, four or five dudes that showed up. Hey, who are they? These are John's disciples. Everybody knows who John is, and especially, you know, and they know who his disciples are. So what you're saying is this was kind of a a softball that was a setup for a pitch down the middle. Yeah, uh, that's my belief. Now the other things are possible. You know, maybe he was doubting. Maybe what prison did that to him. And I would understand that. I mean, he's a human being. Right. I mean, uh, what happened here? You know, uh, you know, things aren't looking good for me. It don't look like I'm getting out. Is this the end of everything? Is everything that I've invested my life in, is, is it all falling apart? Or is that the one? Now, there is nobody out there other than his parents and brothers and sisters that know who Jesus is better than John. He's family. You know what I mean? And apparently they're pretty close. He jumped in the womb. Sure. I mean, from beginning. Yeah. So we're going to read some of the things about John. Just sort of get an idea on it. John 1, John 1, 29 through 35. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is higher in rank than I, for he existed before me. Now these are all John's declarations before he sends his people out to say, Are you really the guy? Now realize that Jesus was uh, born approximately six months after John. So the saying he existed before me goes much deeper than anything else. And people would have known that. Uh, we get that from Luke 1, where the angel visits Mary in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So when the angel comes up, well, it, let's put it this way, the least it could be is six months that he would be older. He could maybe be older. Uh, you know, he shows up to Mary and, and Elizabeth's six months of pregnancy and says, you, you're with child. Okay. It's 31. says, John, and this, 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 I, you know what? I, I missed this as many times as I read this. Verse 31 of John says, I did not recognize him. I, I don't know how many times I read this and it never stuck me that like from the beginning, I didn't know he was the son of God. I know who he was. I knew him, but I didn't know that he was, and we're going to come with this term, the one, you know, like Neo from, you know, he's the one, uh, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. He said, I was given the ministry of baptism by water so that this guy who, before I even knew who he was, so that I could baptize him. He's seeing the whole thing. He's stepping back and seeing the whole picture of everything that's going on. We don't always get that. He does. Uh, it seems that not until Jesus' baptism did John recognize exactly who his cousin was. I mean, I'm sure he knew he was a great dude and all that other stuff and knew his word. But until then, John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in the water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So for 30 years, he knew who he was, spent time with them, had no idea that this was the one until what God told him would happen, happened. And then, and then he accepts it fully. Accepts it just, God says, when you see this, that's the one. He sees it and goes, yepper, there was no, was that really a dove? Did it really, did it really stay there? You know, none of that stuff. And he says, I have seen it. What, what he's saying is, he's giving a reason for his faith in Jesus. I've seen it and have testified that this is the Son of God. I've seen that it's the Son of God. I didn't make this up. It's, I'm not just drawing from Scripture. Something miraculous happened that told me that my cousin was the Messiah. Uh, Mark 6, 17 through 29, uh, about John's death. Um, might as well get it. it it's interesting. Uh, when John said, I must be less and he must be more, uh, this was inevitable. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested, bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. He married his sister-in-law, which is against the law for the Jews. And, of course, John <laughs> just stood out there and, 
every, every, you know, it, you know, the old thing, the king has no clothes and everybody keeps quiet. Well, John was there. Hey, dude, you ain't got no clothes on. You know, he was just standing right in the middle of the will. And when he said that there were crowds, I mean, it just wasn't something he was whispering in corners. He was standing out in the mountaintops and yelling it. Uh, you're a sinner, uh, Herod. You know, uh, most kings don't appreciate that. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Oh, and by the way, it's not like he had died. You know, just, yeah. Herodias had a, so his brother's wife, Herod was like, eh, whatever, you know. <laughs> Other than the fact that you're calling me a sinner, I really don't care what you have to say. But Herodias was not pleased at all. She took it to heart. Uh, it said, had a grudge against him. Uh, you know, our sisters uh, can really, uh, once a woman bears in with her teeth and holds on, it, it can last forever. And uh, such with men. But this woman just really, really wanted to take care of John. And wanted to put him to death, but could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. So there's contention inside of Herod's uh, illegitimate marriage. Uh, and when he had heard him, he was very perplexed. But he used to enjoy listening to him. This, a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and the, his dinner guest. And the king said to the girl, <laughs> Ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Men are stupid. Anyway, I mean, she danced around for a little bit. And he made this proclamation that is just, you know, this isn't no young dude. This, this guy should know better. You know, anyway, I guess we all know how that goes. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Now he makes this public, so in front of all these important people, and he can't go back on his word. He's dug himself into a, a corner, much like what would happen with Daniel. And remember when they came and said, you know, anyone that doesn't bow, I'll have them thrown into the lion's den. And then he realized it was Daniel. Went, uh oh, you know. And he runs down, Daniel, are you okay? Well. Our pride gets us into situations where other people get hurt. Uh, that happens. So he makes this uh, proclamation to her, and she goes out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? <laughs> the little light came on in Herodias, and she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And all the king was very sorry, yet because of his oath and because of his dinner guest, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner, commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in prison and brought his head back on a platter and gave it to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother. And as this, I heard about this, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Um, wow. Uh, I assume they took the head too, unless they're buried in different places. Like that's the thing that struck me. But um, it, somehow this strikes me as I, I have a hard time understanding it. Like, why would you let John go that way? Uh, but there's a reason for all of it. J John's dying anyhow. What's the best way for John to die? That 
brings the kingdom along. Well, as popular as John was, that move did not bode well for Herod. People knew what happened. The people really liked John. Um, it got them, I would think that that move got the people in a bit of an uproar and started them looking. And I would say it probably drove a lot of people to Jesus because he's the, Jesus is the one there were, I'm sure there were people that were still hanging on to John and refusing to lead. And so when John said, I must be less and he must be more, that meant everything. He meant it when he said it, he knew what it meant. Uh, I remember reading about a person who was convicted in, by the Jews. I, boy, I wish I could remember who this guy was. It, it caught me. And he was sent to Rome to be executed, to be tried and executed because, see, whatever, because of his Christian beliefs. And on the way, he had several opportunities to um, avoid execution. And he goes, no, no, I'm going to Rome to be executed. He said, and nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> I am going to do that. And if I remember how the story went, um, when they put him out there to be killed by the lions, the lions just sat down and looked at him. And, every, and like a hush fell over the stadium. Then they killed him quickly, the lions. you know, It, it was odd, but it's the same sort of thing. I, I, what did Jesus say about his death? He said, I am, I am anxious to have it done. I'm in turmoil, not because I'm going to die. I'm in turmoil because it hasn't happened yet. I have to do it. And it, and it troubles me that it's not that it's not happening now. So I put his death in the same category as those things. Uh, far beyond our usual struggles and uh, encounters with death. Um, anyway, verse 3, Jesus speaking again. And he said to him, are you the expected one? Oh, talking about John speaking to Jesus. Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? This is John's, what John told his disciples to ask Jesus. Uh, are you, okay. When he says the expected one, they know exactly what that means. That carries weight for the Jews. Uh, the Messiah. Are you the Messiah? What a great question. Direct and to the point. They had all been looking for someone special for a very long time. They just didn't know what to look for. You see, when God said, I'm sending someone to deliver you, everybody in their own mind made that up, what that would be. We all would. Everybody does. Um, in my own mind, you know, Jesus' return, we have a pretty good picture painted of it, but it's, mine would still be different than everybody else's. But what was said about Jesus coming, it talked about what he would do, not how he would do it or what he would look like or not, none of those things. So everybody created their own Messiah in their mind to say, oh, that's the Messiah because he looks like this. Uh, what a great question. They had all been looking for someone special. Each person was looking for what they wanted. They asked, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? The last part of the question is interesting. John's disciples were now looking for the one John said was coming, as John was no longer available. What John had said before was now happening. I must be less, he must be more. It's happening right here, right now. Now about the expected one. 
Deuteronomy 18.15. Um, so when they say that, everybody, every Jew knows they're referring to these scriptures. I mean, you know, for us, it's like uh, we already know he's the Messiah. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. From among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. Deuteronomy 18, 17 through 19. This is just a couple of verses down. The Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them all that I command him. And I shall it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Psalms 18, 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It doesn't say anyone. It says the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Okay, that matters because in Luke 13, 35, it says, Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Jesus talking to the Jews. And he's saying, uh, this is Jesus quoting Psalms 118, 26, right before he enters Jerusalem. So he enters Jerusalem. Matthew 21, 9. The crowd going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So now the people are quoting what Jesus said the people would quote. It's happening. That's kind of, that little run between those three verses is very interesting. Uh, John 1, 19-21. They once thought that John was the one. You know, because everybody's looking. And the reason they're looking is because of the Romans. They, they really think that God's going to come. And don't we all do it? You know what I mean? Um, it says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent him... When the Jews sent him to priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So the religious leaders are hearing all the people saying this stuff. They go, Boy, we ought to find this out. You think they would be on top of this? But uh, so they send some people. <laughs> Man, if you think this is the possibility of the Messiah, should you be going? I'm, I'm sorry, but anyway. Uh, they ask him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Uh, John 6, 14 through 15, after feeding the crowd. Therefore, when the people saw the signs which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Uh, as far as I know, this is the first time that it publicly gets recognized. You know, other people have said it. John said it and other things. But where the people, there's a miracle that occurs. And that is what should tell them. Miracles are the things that should say to them. The same miracles uh, that Moses did, like me, feeding people, uh, bread from nowhere, manna from heaven. I mean, it all makes sense. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, once again, looking for a political leader, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. He ran away from him. It's, I'm not here to do that. I know it's what you want, but it's not what you need. In Acts uh, 3, 18 through 23, Deuteronomy 18 gets explained 
to the Christian church after the resurrection of Jesus. But the thing which God announced, the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped in away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ, the appointed one for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up from you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. But it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So, after Jesus dies and resurrects, the church is being formed in early Acts. This gets pointed out. It's happened. It's happened. You know, Deuteronomy is here. That prophet was Jesus Christ, and he's not done yet. Part of the problem, I think, is that we as humans living in this reality look at all of this in terms of only this reality. Oh, absolutely. And so we totally, totally miss the whole spiritual aspect of where this is all really coming from yeah. and what it all really is and we do this in terms of not only jesus but in terms of the rest of our lives and what yeah. even salvation really means absolutely um you know there's enough new testament that speaks to that you know uh, what 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 cannot seen is what is eternal what is seen is what's temporal in other words, wow, it's not apples and oranges, man. It's like apples and elephants. It's like, you know, you have no, you have no idea, um, which is what faith is necessary for. That's a real struggle. Sure, that's why faith is necessary, because until you see these things, and until you, well, until you see it as he is and becomes like him, and that includes everything that we're talking about here, when you go, oh, <laughs> you have that moment of, oh, and then it all makes sense, and then you, you just conform to it instead of struggling with what does that mean does that really apply here oh, sometimes you argue with it sure sure because right and that's why faith is necessary in the word um realize that he didn't ask anybody to believe this without doing supernatural things you know i don't want miracles explained if you explain them they're not miracles anymore you know what i mean um, these things have to be beyond belief. They have to be unreasonable. Because if they're not, then they're not miracles. You know what I'm saying? So people will say, well, that's hard to believe. Yeah, that's the point. It's supposed to be hard to believe. If it wasn't hard to believe, then it wouldn't mean anything. Well, sometimes even the statistical odds of a series of coincidences sure. are a part of how extraordinary it all is oh yeah well right that sequence of events is even controlled by him you know what i mean there's nothing that's out of his hand um how he makes it happen means nothing to me it's like creation i don't care i, I don't care if it was dinosaurs i don't care if it wasn't dinosaurs. i could it's care less how, it's a moot point i could think that intellectually about science and i have no problem going there but i don't integrate it into theology it would just be silly um 
this is what faith is for. And this is why he, they're telling the Christian church, it has been answered. And there's going to, but it's not done yet. There's going to be a time when uh, everybody's going to answer to him. And when you want to argue with it. Amen. And, you know, Jesus proved it time and time again with the miracles. And uh, which is why miracles are not commonplace. They're not uh, casual. They have to mean something. That's what makes the miracles. That's what makes them powerful. If they become commonplace, then they're not miracles anymore. They're prominent. Right. And then miracles are uh, the flashing warning light. Pay attention. Something's happening. That's what miracles are. More than the actual healing of the person or the feeding of the people or whatever it was. It's pay attention to the words. They're precursors to the words. And faith, of course, is an element of time, more than anything. If everything that we hoped for happened instantly, we would have no need for faith. Faith gets you through time. Faith will not be necessary in heaven or when it's on earth, because you're not going to be waiting for the will of the Lord. Why? Because his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There will be nothing left to wait for. All these things will be fulfilled. What we have now is this word. And so they're using it from the church. The early church grabs a hold of this and uses it from Deuteronomy. It's like the nail and the final nail in the coffin. This is it. Okay, back to Jesus. He's talking to John's disciples. They asked the questions and Jesus answered them and said to them, go and report to John what you heard, what you hear and see. He doesn't give an answer. He's, I love this. This is <laughs> Jesus does not give a simple yes answer. He gives an answer that John will fully understand as yes. Jesus then quotes two different sections of Isaiah. It's easy to miss this. He quotes scripture. He says, tell them what you heard and see, hear and see. And then he quotes scripture. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers have been cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus says, when you tell him these things, he'll know. These are the things that have to happen for me to be who he's looking for. In other words, I'm proving it. You declared I was, I'm proving it right now. I'm proving it. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, say to those who with anxious hearts, John, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance and recompense of God will come, but he will save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like deer and the tongues of the mute will shout for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness, the streams of Arab, Arabah. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me with good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and freedom to the prisoners. So when he says that, realize he's quoting scripture when he says the blind receive sight, the lame walk. He's not talking. Yes, he did all those things. What he's saying is, tell John, I have fulfilled scripture. If I can put that the simplest way possible. Uh, and he give you know, and he quotes the scripture. And once again, these guys know what he's quoting. Unlike us, you know, um, they know their OT, man. They really do. 
And then he says, then he says something profound. After he tells him, you go tell John what you heard and saw. And he said that you've seen the scripture, that the script, that you have seen the scripture fulfilled. You were here when I did it. He doesn't tell them, tell them what I tell you. Tell them what you saw and heard. Go tell them this, that you saw those two scriptures fulfilled. Okay. And then he says this, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And you go, oh, I mean, you know, every I think just about all of us do. Perhaps Jesus is telling John through his disciples, don't judge this book by its cover. Believe what you are told by the Spirit and Scripture. Don't let my way, how I live and what I look like, challenge your faith. Stick to that Scripture. That's what matters. It may be Jesus saying to John, why are you doubting what God told you? So you have a choice here. John didn't exactly fit the mold of a religious leader, did he? I mean, the dude ate bugs. You know, he, he walked around out in the wilderness, slept on the ground and ate bugs. So who would he who would he be to say, are you sure you're the Messiah? Because I don't think the Messiah, once again, you get that in your mind of what the Messiah is and what he's going to look like and what he's going to do and what he's going to be. So I tend to lean that way, that it's Jesus saying, don't let what you see, how your pre, yeah, your preconceived notions, don't let them interfere with what you actually see me doing. You know, uh, let the truth sink in. Now that offended thing, that, that's kind of neat because it's not the first time this gets said. Hmm. Matthew 15, 11, 12. It's not what enters into the mouth that defies a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles a man. This is Jesus speaking. And then the disciples came to him and said, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? <laughs> of course, this is after the dust-up had already started. Because, well, of course I knew. That's why I said it. You know, I said it to offend them. Uh, and this goes back to that offended thing. Jesus speaks, if the truth offends you, you does man get his wisdom, these miraculous powers? Now let's take this back to John saying, I didn't know it was him. All the people in this town are going, I didn't know it was him. <laughs> when did this start? Because apparently this wasn't happening before the water into wine thing. Now there's all these stories from, you know, history and whatever, the stuff we made up about things Jesus did as a child and all that, you know, raised a cat from the dead or whatever. You know, I, I don't know. But if it's not in scripture to me, it's, it's interesting, but it's not anything. But the people that knew him, where he spent all those years growing up, they were like, when did this happen? We know him. So remember, John saying, I didn't know it was him. Okay. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Oh, by the way, it, it's hard to get around this. He has brothers. Um, I know our Catholic brethren don't see it this way. God bless them. Um, it's, it's They're not talking... They're talking specifically about flesh and blood brothers. They're talking about his mother. Uh, 
they're talking about his father, his mother, and his brothers. Uh, so they had other children. Oh yeah, he was born. Oh, and he and it says and his sisters. <laughs> you know, uh, Mary being the perpetual virgin, and no, it would it would not have been in the law for her to do that. But anyway, are they all not with us? In other words, all of his brothers and sisters are right here. So why did they pass it? I don't know. Yeah. They they I guess. I, I cannot speak for them. My understanding is they need to do that for her to be venerated to the level she is. I, I don't know. Um, don't have an answer. Uh, where did this where did where did this man get all these things? Like where did this come from? And it says, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet who is not is not without honor except in his own town hometown. And in his own household. First uh, Peter, I'll finish with this. Two six through eight, and so they were offended. Like, who does he think he is? We know him. <laughs> there was the people who doubted him because they didn't know him, and the people who knew him doubted him. But notice, they didn't say anything about him doing ever doing anything wrong. It was they didn't say, "Isn't he the one that held up the liquor store? Isn't he the one that ran over the cat and then spit on it? Isn't he the one?" Nothing. They're just saying. We know him, but nothing bad is said. That's really important. There is no legitimate complaint against him. He had lived a life for 30 years, 33 years, 30 years, of just the way he should have. First Peter 2, 6-8. For this is continuing scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, this stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, there is no gray area. You are for him or you are against him. Did he not say that? You are either uh, overwhelmed by him or you are offended by him. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom, they were also appointed. Um, now, I know our Reformed brothers will take a hold of that last one and run with it. But it's saying those who uh, are offended by him are appointed to that, is my opinion. It's much broader than specific people. Uh, we'll leave off there, and we'll pick up on verse 7. Uh, which I'll just read it real quick. We won't go into it. These, As these men were going away, John's followers, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness and see? A reed shaken by the wind. So basically, he uh, after they leave, John addresses the crowd about John, which is quite an honor to have the Messiah point you out to the crowd. And uh, we'll, we'll pick up on seven. Any questions, comments, or criticisms? Good. Sure. You mentioned mm -hmm. that, that was. I might not have pronounced that right. You know me in names. Okay. So I made no claims. That would be Herod, wife. Wife. But it's really our brother's wife. Brother's wife. It was his sister-in-law. Herodias. Yeah. So like Herod, Herodias, like. No, no, I don't think there's any. I was like. No, I don't think there's any correlation in that. There was a Roman tradition of. 
people of the same family having similar, similar related names. names. Oh, okay. And Roman culture had really infiltrated into uh, Israel, and yeah, they had assimilated in. Um, let's pray. Lord, come before you, and I just thank you for your word. I thank you for these people, Lord, and I just ask you to bless them. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate, and help them to glorify your name and what they think, do, and say. And Lord, give each and every one of them a blessed and wonderful Christmas and New Year. In Jesus' name, amen. Try